Well, welcome everybody. Pastor Kurt here. Hey, if you would take your program really quickly, a couple of things I want to mention to you. The first thing I want to mention is that we actually had Cinderella leading worship this morning. I don't know, but if you know what Faith, Faith over there on the guitar is uh, headlining in Cinderella along with uh, Kelly Van Dalen and along with Joshua Thompson and along with uh, Zach Den Blaker is running all the tech stuff. So we've got four kids over in the production at LC and you should go. It was phenomenal. We went last night. So uh, good wins in the end, right? It's a good, good time. All right, in your program today, the Financial Peace University. You know, if you uh, made it through Christmas and you racked up your credit card bills, now's the time to pay the price for that. And so Financial Peace University is a place where you can really bring health and wholeness into your finances. And how many of you know that's a great thing? You know, finances or, you know, when, our, when, we, when we don't have a good handle on our finances, it can make all of life seem not so good. So Financial Peace University is awesome and it's coming up soon. Check your program for that. And I also want to mention that Be the One Family Night is coming. What a great date night on February 14th. If you're running out of things to do on Valentine's Day and you'd love to be with a lot of great people, they're going to be right here with a big night with Sterling uh, Dietz. Sterling Dietz, yeah. I almost said Sterling Summers. That's another uh, Sterling. Sterling Dietz, who is an illusionist. He's really, really good. He headlines in Mexico. He's a really great guy. Came through our youth ministry here with Sean Taylor. And just a good guy. And so come on out and check them out. And all the money that comes in that night will go to Be The One, which is a student mentoring program at our local schools. So it's going to be awesome. So come out for that. And now if you would just take your program and turn it over... Um, several months ago, I told you that we were going to start a search for a teaching pastor to join our team uh, that was going to kind of help take the pressure off of me and work into this position here. And so on the back of your program is Stephen and Darcy Osborne, and they're joining our team while well, Stephen's joining our team. And uh, we're excited to have him. He's a lot of fun. Uh, he's from Southern California, and his mom and dad wandered in this morning, believe it or not. So they're here somewhere. Wave. There you are right there. So welcome to you guys. And Steve married a Bellinghamite. So Darcy's from Bellingham and grew up in Christ the King in Bellingham. So it seems like a great fit. All of us who did the interviewing loved him. So we know that you're going to love him too. All right. So good stuff is happening. Well, today we're going to jump into the third, third week of the series called Focus Faith. And as you know, we're doing kind of a um, memory verse every week. So let's check it out. What do we got this week? This is from last week's message. And so together, we're going to read this. If you can, close your eyes. If you can't, you've got the screen. Here it is. Read it together out loud. 1 Peter 1.15. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. So hopefully you'll uh, commit a lot of these to memory over these next several weeks. So today I want to talk to you about identity about having a new identity, about having our identity in Christ. And Becky mentioned that a little bit this morning, uh, and Joel did as well as we were worshiping. And as I think about our world and as I think about our culture, I would say that it's safe to say we're in an identity crisis. Do you pick that up? Like people don't know who they are. And people are finding their identity in a lot of just different things uh, other than Christ. And so I just want to read a couple of things I came across as I was Googling got to watch out when you Google, don't you? But being a Dutchman, I thought I would share this one with you. This one comes from Holland. And this is about a guy named Emil Rattleband, 69-year-old Dutch guy. There he is. And he has petitioned a court for permission to change his legal age. 
He is actually 69, and he has asked the court to let him change his birth certificate to be 20 years younger than what he really is, because he identifies as being a 49-year-old. So he, he, truth, here's the truth. He argues that he feels two decades younger than he actually is, and doctors told him that he has the body of a younger man. So there you go. So he is identifying as a 49-year-old. It's in court right now to make a decision. And he also says that having a younger age on paper would give him a boost on dating apps. And so that's, you know, I'm 49, really. This one's not quite so funny. This one's a little bit more difficult. Joseph Gobrick, a court case happening right now, claims to be an 8-year-old girl to justify having a child porn addiction on his computer. Uh, says he's an 8-year-old girl, so what should it matter? Uh, here's another one. This is interesting because I'm an athlete. I love athletics. This is a very interesting case. It's going to set some ground rules, I think, for the U.S. Uh, there's two track stars in Connecticut in a high school. They're really, really good. They were born male. They transitioned to female, and they're running against girls. Uh, problem with this is that all the other girls aren't very happy about being beaten by, you know, girls that are clearly bigger and stronger at this point. So there's currently a lawsuit against the Connecticut Athletics um, group filed by the parents who the girls of the girls who were beat out. There you go. Identity, right? And so just in general, I don't know if you know this, there are now 58 gender, gender identities as reported by ABC News. Uh, Google this. It's really, really interesting. Up from 51 last year. There's been seven added. I'm not going to list them. Uh, you can figure that out by yourself. Now, this, this next category is kind of a mix of interesting and humorous and sad, I would say. And these are people who identify as non-human entities. Non-human entities or things. And these people call themselves otherkins. O-T-H-E-R-K-I-N-S, Otherkins. And there's a blog about this. There's a whole group about this. And Otherkin FAQ defines it as an umbrella term for beings in human bodies who identify as non-human. Uh, these include animals, mythical characters, abstract things like clouds or rain. Uh, these are called weatherkins. And people who identify as rain are called rainkins. So, I mean, it's just getting... Kind of strange, right? And I guess for me, being from the psychology side of things and a lot of counseling, I just find it sad that we can't be content with being made in the image of God. You know, I mean, here you have God who created us in his image. Uh, I would hope that would be really, really good, a good thing for all of us, right? So Genesis 1:27, just to remind us this morning about identity God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then Genesis 5, 2, he created them male and female and blessed them and called them human. So we are the only species that God blessed and called human. We are the only species that have this opportunity to be in the relationship with our creator that we know about. And we're the only species that were created or made in the image of God. And I would say it's, it's a pretty privileged place to be. We're the most blessed species on the planet, clearly. Um, and I just feel like it should be enough for us to identify with the image of our creator, not something he created. Like rain. You know, I'm a rainkin. You know, I feel a little blue and cloudy some days here in the Northwest, but I've never actually become a rainkin. 
But here's what it reveals for us, and this is the serious truth of this, that people are searching for identity. They are. We are. We are searching for identity. We're searching to be known. We have a craving to be known. We have a craving to know our Creator. I believe the craving that every person ever made has is the craving to know God and to know our Savior. And really, if you're going to be honest, even us in the room who know Jesus, I would say there are things that we struggle with as far as identity, wouldn't you? I mean, sometimes we view ourselves through our career and we become our job or we view ourselves you know, primarily as a parent and so we see life or we live life through our children. Um, we can even become so identified with the church and with ministry that ministry becomes our driving force in life. And so there's a lot of things that even are fairly healthy in our worldview that if you take them too far can become your identity instead of simply becoming a blessing, right, that God intended our work or our relationships to be. But whether you identify as an otherkin or a rainkin or a munchkin, I have news for you this morning, and that is that Jesus wants you to identify with him. And that's what we're going to talk about today, and that's what Peter talks about in this letter. And the answer for our craving is to be known and for our identity to be found in Christ. And so this is a letter from Peter written in the first century, written to a group of churches um, all spread around the known world of the day, the Middle East and the Far East. And Peter writes this letter to them about identity. So here it is, number one in your notes today. Focused faith craves identity in Christ. Focused faith craves identity in Christ. When you come to Christ, you immediately begin to crave to know him. Once you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, then you're launched into this life of wanting to become like Christ and wanting to grow and change. And it's something that he does in us. And his love and his acceptance is what we begin to long for, that no matter what identity issues we struggle with, we find that our best identity, in fact, our true identity is found in Christ. And so 1 Peter 1, uh, 1 Peter 2, 1 through 4 Peter starts out this conversation on identity talking about the things, the behaviors that we have that we need to clear out of the way to make room for our identity or to make room for God's love. And so you come to Christ, and then Peter says, here, you need to start clearing these things out. You need to start repenting of these behaviors because they are not loving. That's why. They're not loving. And Peter wants us to be available, and God wants us to be available to not only receive his love, but to give his love. So here are the behaviors Peter talks about, starting in verse 1. Get rid of all evil behavior. That's malice. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. Why does Peter start here? Because these behaviors tear at the fabric of our relationships, whether it's your family, whether it's your marriage, whether it's your friendships, your job, your church. These are the behaviors that tear at the fabric of those people that we love. So Peter addresses these. And then he says in verse 2, Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. So that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. You're saved when you receive Christ. Now he wants you to grow into a full experience of salvation. We call that progressive sanctification. When you receive Christ, it's positional Sanctification, you are saved in Christ. You know, you're his child positionally, but then progressively you live out the salvation and you become more like him. 
Does that make sense? Okay. And then you cry out for this nourishment now that you have had a taste. And I love what the English Standard Version says, now if you have tasted. Peter kind of says, you know, if you are indeed a Christian, then you're going to be crying out for this pure spiritual milk. You are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. So let's break this down a little bit, okay? Verse 1 and 2, Peter writes for us to get rid of these behaviors that are going to block the love of God in our life. These are all unloving behaviors, so they get in the way of us becoming like Christ. So this is where repentance, turning away from our old life, becomes important. So the first one, all evil behavior. There, that covers it, right? All evil behavior, malice. It's ill will toward people. Now, I saw Cinderella last night, and, uh, you know, Cinderella has this evil stepmother, and she just has ill will towards Cinderella. She has, doesn't like her hates her if you will and that's kind of what this malice is when you think of malice think of cinderella's stepmother okay and i love the fact that cinderella got to forgive her in the end that was pretty awesome then you move on to deceit deceit deliberate dishonesty where you're just dishonest in your relationships and you know what i'm talking about then there's hypocrisy that's acting like you love somebody but you really don't love them that much if at all then there's envy Resentful discontent. That's when you're in relationships with people, but you're envious of what they have or you're envious of who they are. And so you just kind of hold that against them in resentment. And then finally, there's slander. And that's just saying bad stuff about people, right? Lying about people behind their back. So I want to introduce a, a doctrinal term to you, a study term to you this morning, and it's called imperative. Imperative. I don't know if you've heard that word or not, but it means the action that's required of us. Or after reading a scripture, now what does God want us to do? How does he want us to respond? That's called the imperative of the text, okay? So imperative is what the text is telling you to do. And when you read this text, you might think that the imperative is that we get rid of these evil behaviors. And it is one of the imperatives of the text. It's not the main one. You know what the main one is? The main one is crave. The main imperative of this text is to crave. And so let me talk about that for a moment. Just like a baby craves milk and craves, cries out to be fed when he or she is hungry, so should we crave the pure spiritual milk of God's word. This word spiritual used in the text comes from the word logos, which means the word of God, the living word and the, living, and the word of God. And so we are to be crying out or craving the spiritual milk of the Word of God. And when we take in the Word, because we've craved for that change that God wants to do in us, we don't want to stay the same, right? And God doesn't want us to stay the same. So when we take in the Word, what happens is, as the Word grows in us, as it rises up in us, these other behaviors begin to be flushed out. And so you see the main imperative is not trying to get rid of these behaviors, The main imperative is pursuing Jesus, the Holy Spirit, pursuing the Word of God, letting the Word of God so fill us that it begins to flood out those evil behaviors that we've had. We learn to love instead of lie. You know, we learn to love instead of taking advantage of people or, you know, having hypocrisy in our lives. We learn to love instead. And we take in God's Word, and it's like a barrel. I've got an old rain barrel at my rental house, and it's filled with water and mosquitoes and stuff, you know, and sometimes it gets empty and you can fill it up with water. And what floods out over the top? 
all the garbage, right? The leaves, the mosquitoes, tadpoles maybe, you know, whatever's in there is going to, you can see it, can't you? You can see it. It's going to flood over the top. So it's true of our life. When we fill up on the word of God, it causes those bad behaviors in our life to be flushed out or flooded out of our life. It's replacement therapy. That's really what it is. So it's kind of the same with eating food, right? I try to eat physically really well. I really do. I try hard. This is that time of year where we're all trying hard. I try to eat the right things. The most vulnerable time for me when it comes to snacking is when healthy dinner is on the stove cooking. Anybody else? I'm still hungry. I came home. I'm cooking some dinner because I love to cook. It relaxes me. Food does what I want it to do. Okay, good. So I'm cooking a healthy meal. I know that behind me there's a pantry with all kinds of good stuff in it. And some of it might not be healthy. And I'm tempted to go to the pantry even while I'm cooking a healthy meal that's going to fill me. I'm going to snack on stuff that's not so healthy. So the key for me is to fill up first on something healthy. And the other key is don't keep junk food in the pantry. Right? The same is true for your spiritual life. Exactly the same. When you identify with Christ or you taste his kindness, this refers to our salvation. We come to Christ for salvation. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Now that you belong to him, your value increases exponentially. Your identity in him increases because now you're born again. Now you're you're an offspring of his. Now you're his child. And so your value goes up. Your identity increases. And so now you don't have to identify with anything that devalues other people like malice or hypocrisy. Why? Because you don't have to gain value anymore from making others feel bad or making others look bad. That's why we have those behaviors. We're just trying to make ourselves feel better or look better. So identifying with anything that devalues others isn't necessary anymore. You are now incredibly valuable because of who Christ is in you. Incredibly valuable. And now you also don't have to devalue yourself. You don't have to devalue yourself by identifying with anything else in life that is second best to Christ. You don't have to anymore. You identify with Christ. Now, those things that we love, our careers, our family, our friendships, our church, those things are still good things. And we can get value from those things. And we can give love in those relationships. But they should not be the defining factor of our value. The defining of our factor of our value is Jesus. That's why Peter says, keep coming to him every day, over and over. Keep coming to Jesus. Taste and see that he is good. And then keep coming over and over and over again. To Jesus, And the more you come to him, the more you become like him. So Peter talks about this in this first section, and I want to switch gears a little bit and take you into the living stones section because there is an identity that God wants us to have. Okay, you, you ask, well, if I don't have identity in all these things, Pastor Kurt, then what's my identity? Well, I'm going to give it to you this morning, okay? So Jesus is the living cornerstone of the spiritual house that God is building out of us. Did you know that you're being built into a spiritual house? Did you know that? Did you know that you are building material for the God of the universe? Yes, you are. And so becoming like Christ means that we identify as living stones. Can you say living stones? Living stones. That's our new identity. Does it sound exciting? Some of you are a little rock-headed and hard-headed, aren't you? Might fit. No, this is different. It's a living stone. Number two in your notes, in Christ, 
We identify as living stones. As living stones. Let me help us understand this this morning. We, by God, are considered spiritual stones in the spiritual temple or the house that God is building. And the cornerstone of this house or this temple is Jesus. And Jesus has a solution for our identity crisis. He wants us, his followers, to identify as living stones, which in today's culture would make us stonekins. But seriously, (laughs) Jesus does want our identity to be in him. He wants our identity to be in him, not in the 58 gender identities, not in any other kind of identity that is out there, not in an otherkin, not in your job, not in your family, not in your ministry. Jesus wants our identity to be in him, in him, okay? Listen to what Peter says about the living stones. He says, you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests, so not only stones but priests, okay? Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. As the scriptures say, I'm placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor. And anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Yes, you who trust him recognize the honor God has given him. But for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And he is the stone that makes people stumble the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word or believe in Jesus, and they meet the fate that was planned for them. So here's a picture of a cornerstone. I was in Jerusalem a few years ago, and the one in the temple is actually a lot bigger. I think uh, one of the cornerstones there is like 18 feet long. They're mammoth. They're huge, huge cornerstones. And these cornerstones are incredibly strong, and they're chosen and placed in position to position the entire structure of the temple or whatever it is that they're building. And all of the stones in this building are then tied in to the cornerstone. They're connected by mortar. And in this case, it's mortar that gets brittle. In our case, it's the mortar mortar of the Holy Spirit that stays supple and lets us move as stones and lets us kind of rub up against each other and shape each other and allows us the freedom to speak into one another's life, the truth and love. I mean, all of this is a great illustration, right? So this is the cornerstone, and our identity in Christ is as these living stones is to this cornerstone. You know, a stone by itself is not that useful. It really isn't. You can throw it at somebody. I guess you could hit somebody on the head with it. Lots of people are painting stones now. Every now and then a painted stone shows up out here, and I take it in my office, and I love it. It's got a scripture on the bottom, and people are praying prayers over stones and leaving them out there. It's great. But stones are really not that useful on their own. But put them together with other stones, and they become a temple or a house. Put them together with other stones for a a fire pit, and they become a place where warmth happens and light happens, and people are drawn to the backyard to share story and to have, you know, food together and just to do life together. How many of you love a good fire pit in the spring or in the summer when it warms up a little bit. It's a wonderful thing. It draws people in. It draws people in. And God does the same thing with us. He takes us and puts us together with other stones. Look around the room. Come on, this is a new church. This is not an old church where you can't turn around and look at people. You can. Nobody's going to whack you. I promise. Some of you have PTSD from church. I know. 
But we're the living stones. We are the living stones. And as you look around, God has put you with everybody else. And he's building an amazing thing. Not just here at North County, but all over the world. You know, I'll be in India this week. So our Indian churches, all over the world, these stones are connected by the Holy Spirit. And we've built this incredibly worldwide, for all time, structure called the church that the Holy Spirit resides in, His presence lives in. But even here at North County Christ the King, this, this you know, small church in Linden, here we are and we get the pleasure of having the Holy Spirit work in us. We get to praise Him together as living stones. Together we get to lift up His name and worship Him. We get to you know, share the gospel around the world and see what Jesus is doing in India and Cambodia and Haiti and Paraguay. And it's a beautiful thing to be placed with other living stones and to get our identity then not just from Jesus but also from this thing, this organism that he has made called the church. Not the church building but the organism. We are a part of this identity. So you are not only a Christian for yourself or unto yourself but you're a Christian for every other person that's in the room. You are a living stone for the benefit of every other living stone. And we identify with Christ. And when we identify with Christ as a living stone, our role in life changes. And we no longer live primarily for ourselves, but now we live for Jesus and for the church. So there's a change in identity and there's a change in role. And this comes through trusting Christ. Now let's tackle the last part of the scripture I just read. Not everybody trusts in Christ. We know this, right? We have family members that don't trust in Christ. We have people that we love dearly, that we're praying for, that don't trust in Christ. And we're just waiting and longing for that day when they receive Christ into their hearts, right? So not everybody trusts in Christ. Some people reject him. Some people choose to not believe, to not become a living stone. And when that happens, then the chief cornerstone, Jesus, the very stone that you're meant to be anchored to and who is meant to give you strength in your life will become the stone that makes you stumble. That's what Peter says. What does that mean? What it means is that to us Christians, he is so big and so obvious and so strong and so wonderful, but to people who are in darkness and who've rejected him, he simply gets in the way. He simply gets in the way. And honestly, if if someone's rejected Jesus, they're not likely to want to hear about Jesus. And so now Jesus and the name of Jesus becomes... A stumbling block to them. I was down in Seattle a couple of weeks ago hanging out, I told you, with some friends as they were getting surgery. And it was a full waiting room, like big waiting room, UW Hospital. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I'm just chatting with my buddy and I hear this, Jesus Christ! And I thought, that didn't sound like prayer or <laughs> worship. And I look over and there's a really angry guy with a phone and he proceeds to get on the phone and, and has this not really quiet conversation, and is angry about something. I don't know what he was angry about. But my guess would be that, my guess, because I don't know for sure, would be that maybe Jesus is the stumbling block in his case. Do you know what I mean? Those were not words of adoration or affirmation for Jesus. And so then for people who have rejected Christ, the idea of Jesus becomes offensive and, in fact, even becomes a curse word at some times because they just don't want to be faced with him. So that brings us to number three today. Last point. That's why our identity as living stones sets us apart as God's chosen people. 
Our identity as living stones sets us apart or marks us, makes us different than the rest of the world, than the rest of our culture. And the challenge is living in a culture that's not ours, but still loving the people in the culture because that is what God has asked us to do. So as living stones, we're a part of something bigger than ourselves. We're a part of the church, and, and we are worthwhile in Christ. We have worth. We have value in Christ. So what we do, not only as individuals, but what we do as a church has incredible value in Christ. He has called North County Christ the King or whatever church you go to, because some of you go to different churches. He has called your church where you're at. He's called you to something special. And so you need to dive in and become a part of whatever that something special is that God has called your church to. I know what he's called North County to, but the point is be joined. Be joined to all the other stones, right? Together we house the very presence of the living God, and that's a big deal. And that's what sets us apart from the rest of the world. But not only are we living stones, but we're also called priests. We're also called priests, and that means that we bring the sacrifice of worship, even our own lives, as it says in Romans 1. Even our own lives we bring as a life of worship to Jesus Christ, right? And we become his own possession. God owns us. God owns us. And to be owned by God becomes our identity. That's our identity. So let me read on. Verses 9 and 10. It says, You are not like that. You are not like the people who Jesus is a stumbling block to. For you're a chosen people. You're a royal priest. You're a holy nation. God's own possession. As a result, you can show others. Would you say that with me? You can show others. That's the imperative of this text. You can show others the goodness of God, for he has called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you've received God's mercy. This line strikes at the heart of what I feel about Jesus. Once I had no mercy, and now I have mercy. And man, I don't know about you, I'm so grateful that there's a merciful God that took me where I was, you know, the way I was acting and behaving, didn't put him off, and he said, come on, let's go, let's go my way, let's go my way. And he extended his mercy. I didn't get what I deserved because of Jesus. So not only is that true individually, and we don't just identify with him as individuals, but it's true corporately as a people. You know, when Peter says this about you being a chosen people, he's not talking about individuals. He has the Jewish mindset, and the Jewish mindset is always corporate. God's people was a people, the Jews. And the same is true for us Christians. We receive Christ individually, but we identify as a people, as a nation, as a church. And so God sees us not only as individuals, but he sees us as a bride, as a church. So you've got to understand that our identity has to include the idea that we're connected to one another. It has to, because that's the truth. We can't get away from that. And we love each other by sharing his mercy. We accept each other by extending grace. We honor each other by loving one another. And we express this to the lost as well. We show the lost the goodness of God in Christ. That's why we don't get upset about behaviors that otherkins are doing. 
because they're outside of Christ. They can't help it. Sin or sin. Sin or sin. And so it's not until you're in Christ that you learn there's a Holy Spirit in a Bible that wants you to do things differently. So what, what do we do? Beat them with the Bible? No. We show them the goodness of God in Christ, right? Somebody showed you the goodness of God. I was showed the goodness of God by many people. Shown a lot of mercy in my life, and I'm grateful. So one of the ways of doing that, and Peter ends with this, is by honoring our neighbors. And I love this. We live in kind of a smaller community in Whatcom County here. We, we honor our neighbors. 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12, here's what he leaves us with. He says, Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners. In other words, we are immigrants. We don't belong here. To keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your souls. Peter's saying, there's some things that this culture is doing that are not good for your soul. So don't do them. Stay away from the things that wage war on your soul. And if you're not sure what those are, read your Bible. If you're still not sure, talk to a seasoned follower of Christ. And they will help you understand this. But there are things that wage war against our very souls. But at the same time, he says, be careful to live proper, properly. Really, the Greek says, live honorably. Live honorably among your unbelieving neighbors. Be a woman, be a man, be a boy, be a girl of honor. Honor others. Live in a culture of honor. You know, when somebody has hurt you, forgive them. Forgive them. And let God rebuild the relationship. And then, and then he goes on and says, Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior, and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. Peter's saying, even if they never get it, even if they never connect the dots that it's God who's working in your life, at the end of the world, when God judges the world, they will see it. Your honor or lack of honor will be on display. When God judges the world, and they will see it, and they will give glory to God because you were an honorable person in your neighborhood, in your job, in your family, in your church. That's what God wants from us. That's, that's the imperative of that text. So here's what I want to close with today. And this is striking me more and more and more. This is not our home. This is not our home. So stop trying to live like it's our home. Stop trying to live like the locals. Have you ever been somewhere like Hawaii? And they've got the locals. We're the Howleys, Right? And it can be a little uncomfortable depending on where you go on the islands. So don't try to live like the locals. Stop eating the spiritual junk food everybody else eats. Wages war against your soul. And rather crave the pure spiritual milk of the Word of God. And that is what will drive out all of the other bad behaviors that we bring to the kingdom. It takes some time. It takes some years to flush that stuff out of our systems. But eventually... We learn not to sin that way anymore. And live honorably with your unbelieving neighbors. Bring a taste of heaven to them. Let them know a little bit of what heaven can be like by being friendly, being helpful, being good, caring about the fact that you don't only represent you, one stone in your neighborhood, but if they know you go to church, you, rec you represent all the other living stones in the room as well. And so what you do reflects upon all of us stones. What I do reflects upon you as stones. What all of us do reflect upon each other as stones. So show the love of God to the people that you live 
and the people that you work with. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 5. He said, let your light shine bright before men so that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father who is in heaven. So would you stand with me this morning? I'm going to give you an opportunity this morning to confess your dependence on the cornerstone, Jesus Christ. And we're going to do that through a song. And so my perspective of worship, I was a worship leader for years and years. My perspective is that worship helps us really take in truth because we're singing the words of truth. We're not just reading them or speaking them. We're singing them. And there's something special about singing. So as you sing this morning, I'm going to invite you to confess that Jesus Christ is your cornerstone. If you're here this morning and you've never made him your cornerstone, you've never received Christ as your Savior, you can do that right now. You don't have to know everything about the Bible. All the Bible says is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Believe what about the Lord Jesus Christ? That he's the Son of God, that he came and died for your sins, that he rose from the dead, he has gone to heaven to prepare a place for us, and his grace is enough to forgive all of our sins. And so if you would like to receive Jesus and receive that, it's called the gospel this morning. Would you bow your head with me? Let's pray. And you can just pray with me this morning. Lord Jesus, this morning I come to you and I don't know much. A lot of this I just heard this morning. But I do recognize this morning that you are the Son of God. You came to live a perfect life. You came to take on the sin of the world, which includes my sin. And this is sin that I can't do anything with. I can't forgive my own sin. So, Lord, I come to you this morning and I say, Jesus, come into my life, come into my heart. I receive your forgiveness. I receive eternal life from you. I receive being reconciled or brought back into relationship with the Father. And I receive your promise and assurance of eternal life with you in heaven one day when I die or when you come back to take me home. So I receive you today, Lord Jesus, as my Savior and my Lord, and help me grow as I crave the pure milk of your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody said? Amen. If you received Christ this morning, I would love to hear from you. Email me, call me, text me, whatever you want, and I'd love to pray with you and uh, just talk you through the next steps, okay? We're going to give our tithes and offerings as we close today. If you're a guest with us today, be our guest. Drop your communication card in there. You don't have to give, but just enjoy this time of worship and confessing Christ this morning.